I was looking up. Uh, some of you might have noticed that when I turned to it, I, I noted down at the bottom uh, the hymn tune, and it had uh, Baca on it. And I was wondering, I thought, that's a different one. And so I wondered if there were any other hymns to that tune. Um, and there is. It's 42 Selection C in the hymn book um, as well. So I just thought it's kind of a different tune notation um, and wondered uh, how many others in our hymn book were, were by that. Sixteen hymns, by the way, uh, are composed by William Bradbury, uh, who is uh, the composer of that particular text. We turn then in God's word this evening to the book of Matthew, chapter 26, to start with. Matthew, chapter 26, and we'll begin reading at verse 26, and then we'll also be turning over uh, tonight for our scripture reading to Matthew chapter 28 and reading uh, the section entitled The Great Commission. But first of all, from Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, the breathed out word of God. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it. And gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And then Matthew chapter 28, words also that are very familiar to us, starting at verse 16, Matthew 28, 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thus far the reading of God's holy word this evening. Let's bow in prayer again. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to uh, open your word to these familiar words, and they are familiar, but Father, your word is always fresh and always new, just like your mercies. And We just praise you uh, for the preparation that's gone into this evening's message. We pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob. Fill him with your spirit, Father, that uh, our hearts would be, would be changed, and we would not leave here the same, dear Lord, but prepared to enter that mission field that you have ready for us. And we just pray that uh, these words will encourage and equip us. All this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior, alone we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are in the midst of our study of the Westminster Confession of Faith, where we're dealing with specifically the church. Now, we had a couple of Lord's Days ago a specific chapter dedicated to the church. We had two sermons on that. Last Lord's Day, our brother Mark uh, led, a discuss- or led uh, in looking at the communion of the saints, another chapter 
of the Westminster Confession of Faith that deals with our relationship as part of the church. So first of all, it defines the church and then says, well, how do you as the body of Christ relate to one another within the context of the church? And of course, if one thinks back to the time in which this was written, okay, uh, we're dealing with a not so easy time in history. This, this wasn't written in the light of great peace and comfort and everything else. There was, there was a lot of stuff going on. And there was a lot of enmity taking place between individuals and between various bodies. And even to define the church in the way in which they did, probably stuck their neck out a little bit. Because it doesn't fit okay, that which would be the, the generally acceptable way of understanding the church under Roman Catholic theology. And of course, you got to remember, England's going back and forth here, right? Between, well, depending on who the king or queen is, we're either Protestant, Church of England, or we're Roman Catholic. And so it's a constant battle back and forth. The fact that they came out with the statement they did in regards to the church, okay, speaks highly of the men who were involved in writing this because they wrote it at their own peril. And yet while saying that, they're also looking at their own body going, hey guys, we need to get along better. We, we need to be the church. There needs to be a communion of saints amongst us. And we need to stop fighting, okay? Not necessarily about theological truths, but we got to stop beating each other up. We got to stop going to war against one another. And we need to be the representatives of Christ. So continuing on now, now they take on the matter of sacraments, which once again kind of sticks their head out there and says, okay, how are you going to define it? What are going to be the sacraments? On the one side, okay, they're, they're, the, the Catholic side of this, there would be the multitude of sacraments. Now, before I, I go on with that, I, I just want to say, you know, sometimes I think we look at that and say, oh, they made that into a sacrament. How bad? Well, no, the thing itself isn't necessarily bad. Let me give you an example. Marriage isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Confession of sin is not necessarily a bad thing. Praying with somebody while they're dying is not necessarily a bad thing. Right? It's not like it's what they did with those things in elevating them to the status, but also using those things as somehow a means of salvation is where we have the struggle. Okay? I would hope none of us would ever say to a Roman Catholic, boy, it's horrible you confess your sins. Right? I mean, don't we confess our sins? Don't we acknowledge that? It's horrible you people get married. Right? I mean, I would hope we'd say it's a good thing. Right? We just don't elevate it to the same status. So when they come out with the statement in the Westminster Confession of Faith, there are but two sacraments, understand somebody's not going to be real happy with the decisions that they're making in regards to this. So these are courageous men okay, who, are, who are taking a stand for biblical truth in the midst of a day and age in which okay, it, it wasn't easy to do so and it wasn't necessarily popular 
to do so, especially with the government of that day and of that age. So tonight, we deal simply with the subject of sacrament. It would be, when when I looked at this, it's like, okay, can't I just do one of the sacraments? Can't I just go to baptism, and then can't we just go to Lord's Supper? Why did they stop and say, no, we need a whole section, a whole chapter in our confession that simply describes and defines what a sacrament is? Now, hopefully, the few minutes I gave you previous to this helps you to understand why. Because they're in the midst of a culture that doesn't understand what a sacrament is. They're in the midst of a church culture that doesn't understand what a sacrament is so designed to do. Now, we could take that into our day and age and say, why do we need to talk about sacrament? Because people in this day and age don't know what a sacrament is. At least the people in England at the time in which this was written probably understood the word sacrament. They probably got the idea because everybody's a part of some type of church. Today, somebody walks into our doors okay, from the darkness and comes next Sunday and, and sees us in the morning have this sacrament of the Lord's Supper. They're going, what is this thing you call sacrament? What is all of this? And so, rather than looking at it and saying, oh, it's just dated, it really isn't. Okay? Because there are so many in our day and age who have no clue as to what a sacrament is. Probably including within the church itself. So tonight we spend okay, time in the Word of God dealing with the subject of sacrament. And I want to point out four things to you. First of all, sacraments are part of the covenant of grace. Secondly, sacraments are commanded by Christ. Third, sacraments are always pointing to Christ. And fourth, sacraments are about union with Christ. And I hope when we get to to that point, at least to, to bring you to to seeing the beauty that we have in the sacraments that God has given to us. So first of all then, sacraments are part of the covenant of grace. They are signs. You've heard that before, right? Sacraments are signs. Signs point to something. You've heard that before. But what they point to is something beyond themselves. That's the point of something being a sacrament. There is something there, okay? There there is something here. There's there's water. There's something there. But the significance is beyond the water. The significance is more than just the water of the thing. Over here, we, we have cup. We have the bread, okay? We have juice. We have bread. There is something about these that point to something beyond just bread and juice. There's more to it. I I should just be informing the choir at this point, and I, I think I probably am. Although, in each, there is truth. 
in this water, there is something about this water that speaks to a truth, but that truth is of something else. That bread and that cup speak to something, okay? Let let me give you an example, okay? The water of baptism washes, okay? But it's pointing to not just the washing of dirt with our hands, right? The bread and cup provide nourishment. Not much, okay, in terms of food sustenance, but it does provide something. There is something there to be said that there is some physical food and drink here present. And that conveys something. We need physical food and drink, okay, to sustain ourselves. Okay, there is a lesson there. But there is something else that it's pointing to beyond it. And and that's the point of something when we say that it's a sign. Now in the Old Testament, God had signs as well. In the Old Testament, God gave signs to his church in the Old Testament of circumcision and of Passover. Those signs... pointed to some greater spiritual reality, which were part of the covenant of grace. Let me come back to a second part. But these are more than just signs. They are also seals. They are an affirmation of a relationship. They validate something to be true. A seal as we use it when we talk about the, uh, uh, a sign and a seal, functions there as the seal, just as it does in legal documents for you and I. Right? So when we, when we go and, and get married and we have this stamp placed upon it on this marriage license, if you so choose to go that route and, and get that stamp on there, that stamp is a seal of a relationship that you indeed are husband and wife. You might go into business with somebody and you go in and you file some legal documents and those legal documents get a seal on them that establishes a relationship with you and another individual. You buy a house. You get a seal on it. It establishes a relationship that you have as either buyer or seller. That's what a seal does. It affirms, it validates. What's the other term I wrote down here? It, it, it secures a relationship. It makes something solid. So in sacraments, two things are happening. There is the sign of something else But there is also the affirmation that God is making about a relationship for you and I. So in the Old Testament, people participated in circumcision and and Passover as part of those signs and a seal in that covenant of grace. They're not doing it to save themselves. These are not works of the law. These are not works of the flesh. These were given by God as a testament to the covenant that he has made. 
Hence, you have circumcision arising in the midst of the covenant that he makes with Abraham. You have uh, Passover arising in the midst of the covenant that he is making with his people to purchase them and to buy them and to redeem them out of the land of Egypt. And it becomes then a sign and a seal of what God is doing. The sacraments today of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, also take place within that same context then of the covenant of grace. They're not outside of it. They're not different from it. Okay? They're within that covenant. In that light, we first of all have to see that that which happened in the Old Testament before Christ came, okay, those things have a certain pointing aspect to them and a certain sealing aspect to them okay, that is the same that we have today looking back to the finished work of Christ and the ongoing work of Christ in our hearts and in our lives as well. Sacraments are part of the covenant of grace. Now, them saying that, the, the, the men who are gathered there at, at Westminster, which you're going to see on television a lot in the next two weeks, by the way, okay, those men who are gathered there putting together this document know very well that the other viewpoint has no understanding of a covenant of grace. They don't operate from that viewpoint. They operate from a viewpoint of works righteousness, not of God's grace. These are not saving in the sense that we are saved by doing them. These are evidences of God's grace to us, in God's covenant to us, in God's giving them to us. Nobody invented circumcision. I can't imagine anybody doing that. Hey, I think this would be a good idea to show our relationship with God. Nobody invented Passover. That was God. Abraham, I want you to do this. People of Israel, I want you to do this. It's God coming and covenanting with his people. Just as in the New Testament. So the second thing, our second point, is that sacraments are commanded by Christ. Look again at Matthew chapter 26 with me. Particularly look at verse 26. So they're sitting there. Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it to the disciples. And then comes the order. Take and eat. Later on, it becomes drink of it. All of you. Those are not statements that are made in terms of an invitation. Hey, if you guys want some bread, take some bread. You guys want a sip of this? Take a, take a sip. Okay. They, they come as orders. They, they come in that indicative. They come, they come as a command from Christ. That's important for us to note when we go to Matthew chapter 28, right? We put all sorts of... Uh, power behind all authority has been given to me. Well, the same authority is present here in Matthew 26, 26 and 27. I'm commanding you, 
take and eat. I'm commanding you to drink of it. So when we say, what is a sacrament? We say a sacrament is that which has been commanded by Christ. And in those words of institution, we see that command of Christ. This is something I am to do. This is something I am to engage in. Why? Because Christ has commanded me to do it. Christ has ordered me to do it. Christ has summoned me to do it. So a sacrament isn't something we think would be nice to be added into that which we do in church. It's that which we sit back and we say, from Scripture, what is Christ commanding us to do in terms of that which is sacramental? Listen to, remember these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? We, we read them often at the institution. Uh, we refer to them as the institution of the Lord's Supper. Paul writing 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he betray, was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I I think oftentimes we look at this Lord's Supper and we go, oh, this is the place where Christ is at such a low point. This is, this is Christ in his weakest moments. This is Christ looking at his death and thinking, oh, wow, that which is coming. No, it isn't. This is Christ the captain. This is Christ the king. Which, by the way, is an interesting thing because that's where we actually get the word sacrament from. It's not a biblical term. You won't find the word sacrament anywhere in the Bible. The New Testament church comes up with the idea of using the word sacrament to describe baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because you know what what a sacrament was in the Latin? It's what you as a soldier did when you pledged yourself to your general. Unto death you will serve him. And the church says, that's what we're doing in baptism. That's what we're doing at the table. It's a pledge of service to the king, to the captain, to the commander, to the general, to the one who has ordered and commanded, do this. Do this. So many in the world today think of baptism and the Lord's Supper as something that's, well, you know, if I'm there, I'm there. If I don't, I don't. If I have baptism, I have baptism. If I don't, it's a, what's the big deal? The big deal is Christ has ordered it. And if you're going to submit to Christ, then you have to submit to all the commands of Christ. We need to hear that, right? Sacraments are not something we give and take and do with or do without. And it's not something we're flippant about. And, oh, hey, this morning, let's, let's, let's do the Lord's Supper a quick minute. Somebody get, go get some bread. Somebody go get some cups. Let, let's just have the Lord's Supper now. I, I'm just feeling that's the time. We're not flipping about it. 
Because it's not our right to be flippant. Because it's not ours. It's his. It's that which he has given to us by command. In their institution. In those words of the Great Commission. Right? All authority has been given to me. Now therefore go make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. That's the call to go out and conquer. That's the call to go out into this world. And claim, as Kuiper said, every square inch for our Lord and Savior. How do you do that? You do that by going out, discipling, and baptizing in my name. It's not an option. It's not something we can, well, maybe we do, maybe we don't. Sacraments are that which Christ has commanded for us to do. Thirdly, sacraments always point to Christ. They are always to be appointed to Christ. They are never to be an end in themselves. There's nothing magical. You've heard me make that statement multitudes of times. They're not just a religious duty that we engage in. They're not just, well, check that box this month. Took part of the Lord's Supper. Oh, had another child. Check box. Had it baptized. These are not checkbox items. They're not a list of something for us to do. As if somehow just doing them is an end in and of itself. They're not. They're they're deeper than a checklist. That that was part of the, the problem that the reformers had with what was going on. At the time. All they saw was people doing stuff. And they didn't even know what they were doing. They were were at an altar. And and they're re-sacrificing Christ at this altar. The priest is talking gibberish. Because they don't even understand Latin. And the people are like, what do we do? I don't know. I get, what do we do? Oh, now we go forward and we get a wafer put on. Oh, now we have to sit and watch the priest drink wine. We don't know what this is all about. But we just do it because we're told we have to do it. See, that's not a pointing to Christ. That's not a looking to Christ. So when we do sacraments out of habit, okay, well, this is what we do, or some superstitious element to it, then we're not really participating in the sacrament in and of itself. Nor, and I've mentioned this before, nor are sacraments a means of salvation. Not one sin, not one sin that you and I have ever committed is taken care of because we get some water placed upon us. Outside of the belief, you see, that says, well, when you present your child to baptism and and you're baptized by the priest, that baptism washes away all of that child's original sin. So now you see they're innocent. Because the baptism took care of their sin. Well, these guys are sticking their necks out. Right? Because because that's not what the king wants to hear. They're, They're being zealots for the truth of God's word in the midst of this. 
No sin is forgiven because I, I take a piece of bread and I drink some juice from a cup. It doesn't cleanse me from any sins. Because you see, that would make the sacrament an end in itself. That would mean that the sacrament itself does the cleansing. That would mean that the sacrament itself washes. That means that the sacrament itself atones for sin. But you and I know better. We know that's not the truth. How do we know that's not the truth? Let me take you back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me illustrate it biblically to you. Okay? Paul says, okay, he, I, I read those words of institution, right? For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, if you do this wrongly, no sin is, it's not only no sin is not forgiven, you add to your sin. If you approach this table in a wrong way, with a wrong attitude, with a wrong understanding, it's not like, oh, okay, it's, it's, it's just a, an even thing. No, it adds to your sin. It, it, it doesn't take away sin, it adds to it to approach it wrongly. So how can something be salvational if I do not do it precisely correctly, which I cannot do, I can only do imperfectly. I can never approach this table of the Lord perfectly. So if I approach the table of the Lord imperfectly, what does it do? Forgive sin? It can't because it's only adding to my sin. So biblically, that position makes no sense. So what do they do? Well, they take their eyes off from us. Because sacraments are not, first of all, about us. It's not about our family. It's not about our children. Not about the nice picture we can take. It's not about us having some sort of religious experience as we come to the table. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about what the Lord has done. And then to add to it, it's about what the Lord has done for you. It's about Christ. And when the focus of a sacrament is taken away from Christ, it is no longer sacrament. That which makes it a sacrament is the one who is the commander, the one who is the king, the one who is the Lord, the one who is the Savior. And so we are to point it, to point it to Christ. Have you noticed a change in baptism of late? That's done here at Little Farms. Have you noticed something that has changed? Right. Well, I want you to think about it for just a minute. I want you to think back three, four, five years. 
and we'd have a baptism, what would happen? Okay? Let me refresh you. Here it is. Family here. Dad holding baby. Pastor baptizes in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What used to happen at that point? We have a book we'd like to give you. We don't do that anymore. You know why? Because in the baptismal form it says, and you add nothing to it. You add nothing to it. Because if you start adding to it, what does it detract from? Christ. So you do the baptism, and you add nothing to it. That's it. Now you may say other words, okay? Later on, we say other words beforehand. But when you baptize, the form says, don't add anything to it. Because you see, it's about Christ and what Christ does. What happens when I hand a book? Now it's about the book. And it's not about Christ anymore. See, even when you get old, you'll learn a thing or two sometimes. Right? Especially when somebody points it out in the book as to what is going on. Yeah, never, never thought of it as a distraction from Christ, but it is. Because that's what it's to be about. It's to be about Christ. And that's what a sacrament does. Fourthly and lastly, Sacraments are about union with Christ. I've been talking about they point, they point, they point. That which they point to is not physical but spiritual. The water of baptism doesn't just point to, oh, here's a little water. It points to the water that's in the bathtub where you get the real cleansing. It's not just this little bit of water represents the shower coming down upon you and washing away the dirt and the sweat. And it's not about the bread and the cup. Well, these represent just a little bit of what the buffet at Pizza Ranch is. It only represents something bigger physically. No, the point is that which they point to is not physical, but it's spiritual. It's a spiritual truth. It's a physical thing that points to a spiritual reality. That by faith, by faith, this sign takes hold in our hearts and in our lives. It is a spiritual truth that unites us to Christ and to his work. In the baptism, we are united to Christ. He places his name upon us. It points us to that. We're united in his baptism. We're united to him in his death. We're united with him in his resurrection. We're united with him in his glory. So that Paul can say, we are co-heirs with Christ. We rule and reign with Christ as the children of God. It points us you see, to a spiritual truth and a spiritual reality. A table that points us to the spiritual reality that Christ died upon a cross, that he gave his life sacrificially. Hence the book of Leviticus this morning. To be an atonement by the shedding of his blood for our sin. They speak of our union 
with Christ. And of the relationship that we have with Christ. See, they're not just a sign. They're a seal. Those of you who are baptized, do well to remember your baptism. Take, eat, remember, and believe that Christ died, gave his life, shed his blood for all of your sin. It's about a relationship that is sealed. So we come to the sacraments not because the sacrament itself does the sealing, but that sacrament points us to the reality of our relationship in Christ. That we are sealed. That we have validated a relationship with Christ. What's the sign of that? The baptism and the table. They are means by which we are validated in this relationship with Christ, that we become secure, that we are affirmed in that relationship with Christ. This is God's means. Okay? I mean, it might be nice, and God could have chosen in covenantal relationship to come down and every night tap us on the shoulder and in his Shekinah glory say, I am the Lord thy God. Do not fear, I've forgiven your sin, you're my child. But that's not what God has chosen to do. God has not chosen for us to go outside and look at the clouds, and the clouds suddenly form the words, you are my forgiven child. Doesn't happen, because that's not what God chose to do. How does God affirm his relationship with us? Right here. You're mine. I died for you. That's what sacraments are. The church of the mid-1600s in England had lost sight of this. And so it became necessary for, for those who gathered to stop and to say, wait a minute, we have to know, we have to understand what a sacrament is before we talk about Baptism, and before we talk about the supper, we need to know what it is. People in our day and age need to know what a sacrament is and what it does and what it confers and what it speaks. You and I need that. You and I, who long for the Lord. You and I, who live in a world and in an age of so much uncertainty. We just long. For the Lord to say, I love you. You're mine. You belong to me. And you will forever. God says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to give you two means by which I come to you and tell you of my love for you. At a sacrament we call baptism and at a sacrament that we call the Lord's table. God reaffirms his love for us. Take your hymn book, if you would, please. Turn to page 872. 
page 872. You want to know a synopsis of what a sacrament is about? The Heidelberg Catechism answered that question for us in Lord's Day 1. And I want us as a statement of faith to stand and to make that statement of faith tonight. Let's stand, page 872. I'll ask the question, together we'll give the answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but... The Holy Spirit reassures you of that here and here. And when you take, eat, when you are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are pledged to His service. Let's sing our song of response. Our